Hello. Welcome to CXO Talk. This is episode number 53. I am Michael Krigsman, and here, as always, with my incredibly fun and delightful, the machine-like Twitter maven, Volshark. <laughs> Vol? How are you doing? How are you? Good to see you. <laughs> it is good to see you, as always. And Vala, we have an interesting guest who is CIO of a company that is related to yours. Uh, CIO of Broadcom, an extraordinary company, and we'd love to welcome Bill Miller to the show. Hello, Bill. Hey, how are you doing today, Michael Vala? Thank you for the invitation. Great, thank We're you. We're doing great. We're doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. And everybody, thank you for joining us and watching. And as a reminder, Use the hashtag PoundCXOTalk and ask us questions. Ask questions for, for Bill Miller, who is the CIO of Broadcom. And Vala's company is Extreme Networks, and so they're both in the networking space, and that's what I meant, uh, some related <laughs> companies in that sense, same industry. Uh, Bill, let's begin. Tell us uh, briefly about your background. Yeah, you know, thanks, thanks for asking. Um, I started uh, early on in my career uh, with a strong desire to get into technology, and I can actually trace that back. I was chatting with a colleague the other day. I can chase, chase that all the way back to probably the late 60s, early 70s during the uh, uh, Kennedy pursuit of space, and my father was an employee for NASA, one of the early employees at NASA at Goddard Space Flight Center in Maryland, and I remember as a, as a kid, uh, I would go to the picnics, the summer picnics, the outings, and uh, the, the, all the tech guys would launch model rockets and do all kind of interesting things. And as a young guy, that was pretty intriguing and being involved in the space race and being involved in technology. So I kind of decided at that point it was going to be engineering and technology for me. Uh, so I jumped in uh, to engineering, and uh, that has led me in many interesting paths and ultimately into the... Uh, top levels of information technology over the years. So never really wavered from that. Always enjoyed working with high-tech companies uh, like Broadcom, our suppliers and customers. I just recently, Bill, watched a video of your CEO, Scott McGregor, interview with Robert Scoble. And it was a fantastic video. But some of the things that stood out for me as Scott was uh, talking about Broadcom was he said 99.98% of internet traffic around the world goes through Broadcom technology, which was stunning. He talked about a billion dollars of investment in wireless technology just last year, and that you make two billion connectivity wireless devices just last year, and that go, that power smartphones, and you know, other uh, uh, connectivity and, and, and technology. Uh, just amazing uh, profile of your company. So could you talk to us a little bit about Broadcom, please? Yeah, sure. Um, I, let, let me hit on a couple of those points. It, it is true. We shipped uh, about 2 billion semiconductor products last year. Uh, it's an enormous amount of product to ship. We we participate in really three major market segments. As you suggested, Vala, we have a heavy presence in the wireless market and products that enable and power the wireless communications uh, market. We're in wired and wireless semiconductor products and secure connectivity uh, to the Internet. Um, we also, however, getting back to your statistical 99.98% of data crossing a Broadcom chip, 
we're also uh, very much present in data centers in the cloud. So if you think of the connectivity components that connect servers and storage and many other uh, classic data center components, cloud components such as the networking gear, uh, we're in that space as well as the home. So if you think about home entertainment systems, if you think about modern multifunction devices such as TVs and, and entertainment devices, we play in the connectivity portion of almost all of those realms. So it allows us to touch an awful lot of data uh, moving from one place to another. Uh, the last thing I'll say uh, in, in response to this question is we do plow a lot of money into R&D. Um, as a matter of fact, if you look at the Fortune 500, if you look at tech companies in general, we're really a leader in R&D spend and a, and a very high leader when it comes to percent of sales uh, dollars invested into R&D. So uh, Broadcom very much is an industry-leading innovator. You know, we, uh, we don't manufacture anything. Everything's done through the supply chain and contract manufacturing. So we put our energy, we put our dollars into innovation and into the creation of intellectual property. Yeah, it was fascinating. Scott talked about leading with innovation, and he said that, you know, as far as design goals and principles, form factor was important, make, make the connectivity devices as small as possible, cost optimization, make it most affordable for, for, you know, the B2B companies that you partner with, and then make it super low power. And it was just tremendous amount of innovation across multiple dimensions. It was... Uh, it was one of my favorite Scoville interviews, and uh, so so I'm super impressed. Yeah, one of the um, you know it's it's sort of this compounding challenge of making devices smaller, obviously to 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 fit into the geometries of the products to make them lower power consumption, so the batteries last, and we can do more of our conversing either in voice and data uh, through the battery lifetime. Um, but it's also because we're trying to collapse the functionality. Of, of previous products into a smaller space and Broadcom is a leader in producing SOCs or systems on a chip so these SOCs take what may have been in the past three or four semiconductor discrete products or discrete devices integrated circuits and, and compile them uh, basically compress them into one circuit or one chip to provide efficiency to the world uh, and we're very proud of that we're very proud of our role in that space so you are a leader in the development of these types of chips. And as, as you look out over the mobile market and the mobile landscape, you have a, a really unique vantage point. So any thoughts or observations from where you sit? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's, it's an interesting role. I really enjoy my role as a CIO. It's one of the best jobs in the country. And it is because of what you suggest. We, we basically power a large part of the Internet. We power and we innovate to drive that interconnectivity and communication. So it's a wonderful place to sit as a company. But as a CIO, we have to leverage that and use that within our own organizations for the benefit of the workforce. So, so we sell that. We also have to build it and support it. Um, and one of the things that's really enjoyable about my job is I visit a lot of other organizations, a lot of other CIOs, a lot of other tech companies because I am a buyer of that technology. Mm -hmm. I'm an assembler of that technology for the benefit of our 12,500 employees, uh, the vast majority of which are engineers. But I'm also a purveyor. I represent the company in selling our products into those configurations that I'll turn right around and buy 
uh, for the consumption of the IT organization and, and our engineers within Broadcom. So it's a really great role. I think there probably aren't uh, that many CIOs that get to sit on both sides of the table during any particular conversation. It's a really fun position to have. So as a CIO of a company that's powering connectivity, can you talk a little bit about your agenda as the CIO of this incredibly innovative company, perhaps as you look ahead the next 12 months or so, near-term agenda as the, as the CIO? Yeah, thanks. That's a that's a really super question. Uh, let, let, let me let me break it into what I consider to be five major components uh, that are that are part of our core strategy and and our outlook for the next uh, you know six six to eight quarters really. One is producing what I call uh, crazy good grid computing, uh, which really defines world class semiconductor uh, production. You've got to have a, a phenomenal grid computing capability to run your uh, electronic design uh, tools, your EDA tools that power engineers and allow them to run simulations, allow, allow them, permit them, and facilitate designing circuits and the latest and greatest circuits. And those engineers sit across a global landscape, so they have to have access to these tools 7 by 24 by 365. So when we say we talk about uh, a world-class grid computing capability, we're talking about an interconnected network of data centers with high-performing servers and storage that host and support these tools that engineering teams can access in very nimble fashion from wherever they sit. So this grid, this, this what I call crazy good grid computing capability <laughs> is core to our innovative capacity. So that's number one. Number two, um, my belief is, is really that collaboration is king for fast engineering. Right? Our teams, our engineering teams, and, and uh, Vala, you know a little bit about our company. We've acquired about 50 different uh, organizations, 50 different companies uh, over the last decade or so. Um, most of those acquisitions are centered around engineers and the ability to create uh, phenomenal content. And a lot of those engineering sites are quite unique in what they offer. So, you know, we may have a site in, in, in the EMEA region that's, that's spectacular at producing a near-field communications capability. Mm. So that team will sit with many, many other teams globally to produce a complete integrated circuit. So those teams have to be able to interoperate across a global landscape and bring their technologies together to produce a tape out, to produce a significant output of a chip in a timely fashion. So collaborating means a couple things. It means sharing IP, being able to very aggressively share IP, our intellectual property across a global footprint as those engineers need it for reuse purposes. But it also means being able to work as a team and work on a project collaboratively. So it's both the technical IP side and the teaming and the project management side. So this collaboration really is king for fast engineering. Uh, a third component, a third major agenda item for us is what I call uh, rocking the cradle of innovation through engineering <laughs> lab support. Right? It is the cradle of innovation, the labs. We've got several hundred laboratories around the world where our engineers go in and do everything from from uh, operating an oscilloscope or a, a digital voltmeter to, to, to operating very expensive signal generating uh, equipment that allows them to work on the details, the down and in components of new technology and chips. And of course, to connect that 
to our larger network, to be able to move data around, to allow engineers to access those tools remotely from their offices as well as from the lab requires a lot of IT content to be able to connect those laboratories for that, that, that real cradle of innovation. Um, fourth on that agenda, a big issue for us is really having a customer-centric view of the world, right? We want to be easy to do business with at Broadcom. We want our customers to feel like they're getting the responsiveness, like they get um, answers to the questions that they have, and they have access to documentation. They have uh, access to the, the, the latest um, information on how to best utilize and design in our products. So that customer centricity is very important. And the last major agenda item is sort of the operational integrity side uh, of the CIO's landscape. And it involves things like cyber protection. Uh, it involves things like uh, amazing uptime statistics, where we can support nearshore and offshore, uh, and then finally big data and analytics capabilities so we can drill down and our customers internal to the company can get the data that they need. So that's sort of the operational integrity that's based on good, solid, repeatable, reliable business processes. So if you look across those five sets of activities, that's where we're really investing, that's where we're really spending our time, and we will be spending our time for the next six to eight quarters. I just saw a video where you talked about green IT and optimal use of your assets and sustainability. I was very impressed that Broadcom donates equipment to universities as part of your sustainability initiative. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I did a, a video on that because I'm very passionate about it. And, and it. and I think a lot of people are interested in our community in, in green IT and getting maximum utility out of out of the assets that, that, that we utilize. So let me give you an example of how an asset might go through a life cycle at Broadcom. We may have a uh, high-performing server in a data center, and that, that asset will reach a couple of years uh, in age, and it's no longer the fastest or the greatest asset to apply to our engineering disciplines, but it still has practical life in it. So we'll take that device and we may put it in a lab where the speed, the performance is not as important as it is in a data center. Um, we may also choose to take a certain number of those assets and offering up to our university partners where speed and performance is not necessarily the top ranking item, but that those assets still can do a lot in an R&D uh, capability for a university. And then we like to round it out and say, look, if we've got assets that are, that are truly reaching end of life, they're not useful for a lab, they're really not cutting edge uh, capability for a university, we'll send them through an e-waste, a natural e-waste cycle that allows a community organization to recycle those components and, and turn them into something useful for society rather than to try to, to, to exit that equipment in a less efficient fashion. So it really is a complete life cycle that we're very proud of. And by the way, we continue to try to evolve and get better at each year. Bill, you spoke about uh, maintaining the operational integrity. And I think that is where many CIOs actually remain. They have many organizations. IT has a difficult time going beyond basically running running good projects and trying to keep the network secure. So how are you able to keep that going and yet do so much more on top of it? What's necessary or what did you have to put into place to make that possible? Yeah, well, let me say this. 
part of the challenge for Broadcom was associated with the, the tremendously rapid growth of the company. Broadcom has a history of being one of the fastest growing semiconductors in, in, in the history of, of, of the uh, kind of the VLSI in industry. So when you're growing really fast, what you fail to do is often put in kind of repeatable processes and disciplines that you'd like to, to have in place as a much larger company. So as a Fortune 500 company today, um, you know, when I came to the company several years ago, uh, we did not have the repeatable processes. We did not have the disciplines. We did not have the documentation associated with a lot of the things we were doing, understandably because of, of the pace of growth. I spent a lot of time working with my team in establishing more disciplines. So, for example, uh, when I got to Broadcom in IT, we did not have a, a program management office. We've since set up a project management office, program management office with portfolio management, and a lot of disciplines about life cycle for our products, how we do release control, and, and basically assuring that what goes live in our environment goes live in a very responsible fashion. So what's happened is we've been able to develop these processes, we've been able to bring on board a set of project managers who are skilled in this space, uh, that reduces risk in the operational nature of the business, the change management aspect of the business, and allows us then to chase a set of higher objectives that are more value-add, that are maybe more innovative, more industry-leading and thought-provoking projects, and to do that in a disciplined fashion. Sure. It's hard to do that if you don't have the underlying operational integrity uh, that Michael that you talked about leading into this question so I think we made a lot of great pro progress there we've got we still got work ahead of us to do we feel good about the operational integrity of the organization and we're really eager to continue to drive projects that bring ever-increasing value to our, our, our external customers and our internal user community. Okay. Can you can you describe um, how, why and how this kind of operational integrity is a foundation for then innovating, for then for IT to innovate and serve those internal and external customers? Yeah, sure. I mean, at the very base level, if you don't have the degree of operational integrity that, 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 that most CIOs expect and strive for, what you end up doing is everything twice. Right? You do it once, you deploy something and you find out it has shortcomings. Either uh, there are challenges with the technology because it was not thoroughly tested before you deployed it. Um, you didn't really understand thoroughly uh, what your customers were asking for, so you deployed something successfully but not in the 10 ring, not at the heart of what the customer was looking for. So by getting these processes, these operational processes embedded, by having more first-pass success in IT projects, you do less rework. You spend less time going back and correcting maybe flaws in systems or technologies that were deployed, which gives you more bandwidth to do the really innovative activities that bring the top-level value to the business. I'll, I'll call them transformational projects, which sure. really is what, what uh, is exciting for, for a CIO and an IT leadership in any organization is the transformational initiatives. You recently did uh, an MIT Sloan uh, video where you talked about you know, um, data scientist and data analytics and business intelligence is a is a very important and hot skill to have in IT and a skill that's in demand. But you also talked about project management skills and managerial skills being very important 
in IT, and I suspect a lot of this operational excellence that you talk about requires the you know project management skills. Can you talk a little bit about that? Is would you rank project management skill among the you know top skills uh, that future IT will need in order to you know properly manage this avalanche of com complexity that that the enterprise faces today? Yeah, sure, Vala. Um, you know, I believe absolutely the project management skills and extending to the management of an entire portfolio investments, the, the uh, portfolio of investments that a CIO is responsible for, is extremely important. And, and, and kind of let me boil it down to the basics. Obviously, it sounds you know logical that we want a project managed successfully. You know, everybody's in for that vote. You know, put me in the yes category. But the truth of the matter is, the reason we need more. Um, professional project managers and even extending into the program management space for large complex IT initiatives is that every day we assemble technology from more places right we, we probably before we're done here we'll talk cloud at some point we'll talk about SaaS you know software as a service providers we're we're system engineering more solutions in the IT world today than ever before so we take our own applications that we craft and code and, and you know build out a Java or .NET uh, configurations or constructs or other other kinds of capabilities and we often commingle those uh, with enterprise software uh, packages we, we, we converge them um, with collaboration tool suites and in some cases we outsource that through a SaaS provider or a cloud provider. So what we're really doing is we're, we're bringing in multiple factors of production into the delivery of a complex IT system. The people best qualified to do that are people who have good project management skills. Right? They can manage schedules, they can manage customer expectations, they can manage deliverables, they can manage budgets, and they can pull all of that together in an effective fashion, understanding the testing in the vetting that's required before you go live with a sophisticated initiative. So I think it's absolutely essential that you bring good quality project management skills to the table. One more point, Vala, that, that, that may not be obvious in, in this discussion. Don't assume that other corporate organizations or other SG&A functions are necessarily good at project management. Right. right? Many organizations are good at recursive processes. HR organizations, we count on it. We need them to do that. We need to have a successful financial close every period, every quarter, every year. So there are recursive processes. But IT is often brought in to do truly new and innovative insertion of technology or business process. So I believe IT and CIOs have the chance to lead across the entire corporate framework for good, solid, disciplined project management uh, initiatives and skill sets. But this is... That's it, an excellent point. It's very interesting to, he to hear yeah. you talking because this is precisely where... I do want to talk about the cloud and a whole bunch of these other things, but, but so many IT organizations just don't even have this part of it together. And so how can they even begin to talk about doing these more transformational or innovative projects if they can't even get get this together. I mean, you've written, what, a thousand blogs about IT project failure. I prefer to say that I've written a thousand <laughs> blogs on management, <laughs> management and leadership yes. and how to do a better job. But uh, if we have, yes. mis, but Mr. Glass half and deep yes, <laughs> that would be true. But <laughs> it is so true. I mean, as, as, as someone who's responsible for marketing for our business, I rely on 
project management, strong project management skills with IT because a large portion of my marketing spend is digital marketing and we are introducing new innovative technology and we are partnering with cloud SaaS providers to help us with lead nurturing and marketing automation and, and building our sales funnel and so on and so forth. And it's, it's introducing new technology at a very rapid pace. So I, I, I can't see how we can be successful without strong project management skills from IT. I agree with that 100%. Yeah, and I think you know it, 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 you're you're involving the supply chain, you're involving external part, you're involving an enormous number of B two B relationships today. Both and those B two B relationships are certainly on the supply chain side, but they're also on the customer side. So it's very difficult to do it without a lot of integration. I think of it as systems engineering because it really is bringing together components of complex systems in an elegant way. And I think, Michael, to, to what you said earlier, I think a lot of organizations get stuck here and they can't get past this in their maturity, in their maturity cycle. And, and it kind of makes sense because particularly smaller, rapidly growing IT organizations are comprised principally of techno technical experts, right? You have to have those technical experts to run the operation, that DNA doesn't necessarily logically match with good project management skills and disciplined project management. So you have to do it intentionally and you have to do it methodically to build that, that competency in your IT organization. You, you know, we could continue. We could continue talking about this for a long time, but let's uh, okay. Go let's on. let's go on. Uh, I, let's. Just, just maybe briefly, because there are so many. There's so much left that we topics to, to cover here. So, so just kind of briefly, uh, you mentioned that your customers. You see your customers both internal to the organization as well as external. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, in, a, in a business as complex as ours and as fast-moving as ours, where we're, we're innovating on an hourly, daily basis, introducing a lot of new chips each year and, 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 and de helping design those into customer products, uh, we find ourselves de really dealing daily with both the external customer and the internal customer. So let me give you a very uh, a simple example of that that I think will resonate. Uh, we're pursuing some initiatives that are very, very innovative in terms of content and knowledge management, and we're trying to upgrade our proficiency in tools. So on the internal customer side, if you think about content management, we would provide our customer service reps, the people that a customer might call for information, with a lot of, of, of content, tech briefs, a problem-solving type of information, and that has to be presented to them in a way they can search for it in a nimble database and find out how to answer their customers' questions. So that's providing tools to our internal customer that can then help the external customer. But on the other side of that, we're also making a lot of our, our latest documents and technical briefs directly available to customers through applications, uh, knowledge management tools that sit on our internet. So a customer um, with access can come in, log into that site, search and provide self-help and find the latest ways of using our products in their solutions uh, simply by coming to our, our website and looking for that very, very in-depth information. And these are generally engineers and engineering customers coming to access that information directly. So that's a case where our IT, our Broadcom IT department actually produces this capability working with our product lines and our product line marketing people to deliver capability directly to the end customer 
as well as delivering it to our internal teams to help the end customer. So it's a lot of fun being at that nexus and being able to provide those kind of innovative solutions to, to, to our customer community. You had uh, recently uh, mentioned in an Information Week blog where you talked about using metadata to leverage uh, big data and foster business agility, and you had talked about petabyte of data uh, through simulations as you bring new products to market, and you wanted to be able to create an environment where individuals can access this data, VPs in engineering and marketing others, to learn about uh, you know, certain trends and, and improve the the process of building world-class products. Can you talk a little bit about how IT is enabling that capability? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting area to, to me and certainly to uh, my internal customer community. So if you think about it, big data to a company like Broadcom may not be the same kind of big data that you would think of for, let's say, a financial institution or a retail entity. Big data for us often relates to metadata around all these engineering jobs that run. I'll give you an interesting number. In simulations alone, Broadcom runs well over a million simulation jobs a day. A million jobs a day are run through our engineering grid. More than, substantially more than a million jobs. So there's all kinds of data about the success and failure of those jobs, about how long those jobs take to run, uh, what engineers and what kinds of engineering groups are submitting them, what products and product families those simulations are supporting. There's a wealth of information about those job streams that are submitted basically uh, to, to, to get the job of innovation done so that we can prepare a circuit uh, uh, soon, faster. But all of that metadata forms a rich fabric of information that if we can, can use our analytics capabilities and drill down more intelligently, we'll learn a lot more about our own efficiencies and our own inefficiencies and how we can shorten that life cycle of development and go to market. So it's an area where um, we're investing some time in. We've got a lot of work to do there, but it's a really rich exploratory space for big data and, and BI and analytics in general. And we're very excited about that. Not the traditional use case for big data, but nonetheless a very intriguing use case. Unbelievable. One million simulations of data. Yeah. So, uh, That's unbelievable. How long have you been collecting this, this data? And can you give us some examples of the kind of uh, benefits that it gives you? Yeah, I mean, the data's been collected uh, for quite some time. It gets better each year. Uh, the tool suppliers are, are uh, in the EDA space uh, better each year about producing all of this intelligence and metadata around how their products run. So it, it the database gets richer each year. Um, again, our goals would be to affiliate the success and efficiencies of these runtimes and these processes with specific endeavors that we do. Uh, it may be associated with specific product type. It might be associated with software development versus hardware development or firmware development versus hardware development. So we get a better understanding of the mix of the components that go into delivering a total product. You know, how many simulations, how many reruns, how efficient were we, and can we do better next time? Can we learn uh, how to basically do a similar kind of chip in a shorter period of time based on the lessons learned from what the data tells us? So those are all really great advantages. You know, remember, Michael, you know, time to market is everything in this kind of high-tech space. So the sooner we can get there with the next generation of product, the better off we are uh, in, in, in terms of winning. 
in that competitive market. So it's important to us that we not run extra cycles in our in our development life cycle. We have, we have a question from Twitter. It's shifting gears a little bit, and this is from Bob O'Brien, who asks, uh, "What do you look for in vendor suppliers, and uh, do you rely on industry analysts?" And of course, the, your supply chain is crucial part of your strategic uh, strategic dimension of the company. So, what do you look for in vendor suppliers? Yeah, that, that's a that's a very good question. Um, obviously, we go back to, to industry standards uh, like Gartner, and we're able to pull that data and we follow that closely. There are other other inputs that we use to understand where these vendors are from a from an offering and credibility standpoint. I have a very talented technical team. Being an engineering company, being an innovator, I have some very technical and very very competent people on my team that follow this stuff uh, religiously. They love to read about it. They love to stay current. Uh, I have an office of the chief architect, so we're constantly generating roadmaps on on products. So we kind of know the technology. We know where it's going, and we, we know what we want to adopt. The question is, who's the partner? Who's the supplier? Who's best able to help us get there? Uh, we are fortunate in the sense that in many cases, uh, my suppliers are my customers as well. So I will deal on a routine basis with my product line management teams who are talking about how our products are powering my suppliers' products that come into the network. So uh, it's a lot of fun to kind of work that interoperably. So I have a rare insight into all these new products that are providing networking and data storage and, and, and server performance. We basically have chips in the vast majority of those products that end up uh, in the network in the larger network and in the grid at Broadcom. Uh, but you know, we also, we also look to referrals from our colleagues and friends. So uh, where we have long-standing relationships with, with companies like uh, SAP and Oracle and IBM and Microsoft and, and many of the, uh, uh, the technology suppliers in, in the box build framework, like the Cisco's of the world, we also look at who their platinum partners are, who their gold partners are, who they endorse, who works well and plays well with them, so that we basically create a technology community that comes together to deliver solutions to Broadcom. So we come at this from many angles. It's really a lot of fun to track this. The industry changes quarterly. Uh, Vala knows that. I mean, his business is an innovator, constantly bringing new technology to market, and we try to stay up with that. And we often pilot this technology in small corners of the business before we roll it out en masse. It's very important that you do that uh, so that we can keep this grid up uh, globally uh, around the clock. Well, speaking of technologies that change quarterly, you know, as a connectivity provider and, and a supplier of mobile chips and components, I think our audience would love to learn from you your views of the mobile market and uh, you know where you see that going. Well, you know, the, the mobile market's exciting to us because we are a thought leader in this space and we bring constantly bring new connectivity products uh, and connectivity protocols and standards to the marketplace. It's obviously a very competitive marketplace because it's a large market. You know, we see uh, uh, wireless growing, we see mobile communications growing. Uh, as fast, if not faster, than, than, than any other segment uh, in the semiconductor world today. It's also a globally attractive market, right? So if we look at, at emerging nations, if you look at BRIC countries, and if you look at third world countries, everybody wants to be able to communicate with their colleagues. They want to communicate through telephony, and they want to communicate through data, 
through the global internet and be able to share the, the latest and breaking news. So you see that as a tremendously a burgeoning market. It's a competitive market today. Uh, it's a market that you have to lead uh, by thoughtful product development and, and through um, good quality engineering. So we're really enjoying playing in that space. Um, we've, we've, we've had some success there. I think our connectivity products are clearly second to none today. Uh, we've played a big role in that in Wi-Fi and GPS and Bluetooth and all the variety of technologies that allow users to connect from wherever they are and in whatever form factor and whatever device type that they want to come to the uh, global internet with. So it's a fun place. I enjoy it as, as a purveyor of that technology internal to the business, trying to keep up with BYOD standards and trying to produce uh, you know, mobile access to applications and tools uh, for our engineering community and our, for our GNA functions. So it, it's, a, it's a great place to be. Uh, it's wonderfully changing technology uh, and wouldn't want to be any other place. I was going to say, let's, let's talk about cloud. Uh, you, you are a cloud company in the sense that you create the components that allow cloud providers and data centers to actually operate. So, so you're a cloud company sort of in the most basic sense of the word. Yeah, if you look at most major um, cloud centers, data centers, cloud suppliers today, Broadcom plays in the connectivity of those major components to the network. So the networking equipment, kind of uh, the top of rack switches, the gear that allow the devices in that data center or that cloud supplier to connect, and in the back planes of those devices themselves that allow them to connect and communicate with other gear, both on the, on the network and in the data center. So yes, we do help power that cloud Obviously, as an IT organization, I'm also a consumer of cloud capabilities. So I do have a foot in each camp, and I get to see uh, kind of where the cloud is going and what kind of modern technologies that it's driving. Uh, for example, I would argue, I would argue that one of the emerging technologies that's really interesting uh, and should be thought-provoking uh, to CIOs today and going forward is this notion of the Internet of Things or the Internet of Everything because I don't believe the Internet of Everything or the Internet of Things could be viable today without a, a cloud component, a capable cl cloud component because that data is moving globally and in such a fashion that individual companies alone can't house that data within their own premise. There has to be this cloud capability to connect all of that information. And you're going to see more and more of a presence there. So I think cloud helps drive this next generation of wearables in the Internet of Things and the technology that's emerging. You know, with the explosives of nature of consumerized IT, and now you're talking about Internet of Everything and Google Glass and Apple iWatch, and it's no it's it's going to shift from BYOD to bring your own wearable, bring your own app, bring your own cloud provider. How much shadow IT exists within Broadcom, and what are your views on pockets of IT that might be outside of your purview? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, I'm very fortunate here at Broadcom because we don't have a lot of shadow IT, and I've worked in organizations where there was a lot of shadow IT. So. Trust me, it's, it's, it's a real benefit as a CIO when you can get your arms around the vast majority of, of, of the IT um, infrastructure and the IT application space. There, there's, there's a couple of good reasons for that at Broadcom, why we're that way. 
we decided early on that all of the support for engineering, all the internal IT support of engineering was going to be lodged in the IT organization. So we kind of started out, the company is not a hundred year old company, it's a modern company, so we haven't we haven't accumulated these applications over 50 years as some of my predecessors uh, in, in, in IT and other Fortune 500 companies have had to deal with in cleaning that up. So we haven't had as much. The other thing we do that's pretty innovative that I think squelches a demand or squelches these, these nucleation sites of IT out there uh, in, in engineering or manufacturing organizations is we get rated annually in a very comprehensive process by engineering organizations. They rate each other, they rate the supply chain, they rate the sales organization, they rate the IT organization. In very specific deals, excuse me, in, in very specific ways um, and I think in a very fair fashion. We go through that at the first of the calendar year each year. IT takes that feedback from these engineering teams, we digest it and we put a set of of processes in place to address those needs going forward. And this is a recursive process that's been going on for a long time. It allows engineering, it allows other groups to very openly share their feedback, and it allows us to come back and respond on how we're going to improve that, that functionality going forward. In that way, you don't have this spontaneous generation of technology out of frustration occurring out in some of these user groups. And I think that's where you often see shadow IT is, uh, is, is a consuming organization of IT, asks an IT organization over and over again, the IT organization doesn't respond, so what does that, that customer group do? They create their own, and that creates bad habits and a lack of supportability for a large corporation. Is the, the, the survey that's internal to, is this like a net promoter score, where you ask other departments, would you recommend IT based on their quality of work and service? Is, is, is that the framework that you use? This is actually a little more invasive than that. This is each of our engineering organizations, and, and at the level I'm talking about, business unit level, it's 20-some organizations that rate us across a series of, of performance categories, wow. and then give us not only, not only numeric feedback, but they give us qualitative feedback that we'll wow. take at my staff level and digest each year. It's generally headed up by my director of engineering systems, who coalesces all that and comes back and says, you know, here are the takeaways, here are the findings. They're not necessarily totally consistent across all the engineering user teams, but they're fairly consistent in their tenor and their tone, and they allow us to then go and invest and improve those areas of performance. So it's, a, it's sort of a corrective action tool that I think is a very healthy process. I find it to be very unemotional. Um, uh, very open, and you'd expect from a group of engineers, right? <laughs> it's an analytical approach and a view that I think is a healthy process. That's excellent. So you're you're in clearly an engineering-driven company, and we hear a lot of times about tensions between engineer between IT and marketing. And so I wonder what the relationship is between IT and marketing at Broadcom, given the engineering folks. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty healthy relationship. Obviously, marketing organizations are always evolving. They're always trying to get more information about the customer. So there's sort of a data mining BI aspect to, to marketing. And how much data can we get about products that, that have been purchased, who's purchased them, what organizations, what are the features? So there's a data mining aspect of that that we work closely with in the marketing organizations. There's obviously prepping for things like trade shows and the brand that goes out to the marketplace 
Uh, IT works with marketing aggressively to get that brand out there through our internet, through the branding of our applications that customers uh, come to us through, portals that customers come to us through. So there's a lot of that. There's the CRM, the customer relationship management right. and supportability side, right, that's so important. And of all the groups that have a demand for mobility, that ask IT for mobile solutions, you know, solutions to their hand as they move around, sales and marketing lead that, right, because they really want that order management information. They want that customer service, that customer profile data to follow them wherever they go and whenever they go uh, around the world. So we have a very tight alignment with uh, you know our executive vice president of sales as well as our VP of sales operations. It's a very tight and rapidly evolving agenda and, and I think it brings a lot of value to the company. But your organizations have to be very interlinked there because that technology is moving quickly and I would argue it's also one of the more common places to see a SaaS and cloud entries of suppliers, right? CRM solutions are a great example of that. Bala, we're just about out of time. Do you want to, do you want to take the last question? Uh, first of all, I'm amazed how quickly that 45 minute went. And, uh, I'm going to put on the CXO, CXO talk power glasses. <laughs> I'll, I'll hold him up as well. I, you know, I, it's unfair that we don't have one for Bill. It's well, just I don't want him to feel left out, so I'm, <laughs> I'll leave it here. So, no, I, you know, I just what I wanted to conclude. I, I wanted to conclude with uh, you know uh, Broadcom's extraordinary company and uh, an, an incredible uh, business partner for Extreme uh, Networks, and uh, you know we learned quite a bit today. I can't wait to uh, write. We'll have to take up another one. It's another side. But it's off.